you know, like that's the, the misconception that like the media and TV and movies feed us, you know, they give us this ideal image and makes everyone think that that's what dogs should be and that's what a life with a dog is like. Well, I tell you, it's not, okay? It's not like that for everyone. And it's not always like that. I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaisa van Overbeek, and on this podcast we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. everybody just a little add-on to the usual intro you may have noticed that the time interval between the publishing of this episode and the previous one is quite a big one and I just wanted to let you know why and the reason is actually kind of cool it's that Rusty and I are going to be starting out a long distance hike on the E1 trail in Scandinavia and we've been doing a lot of prep work for that and that went at the expense of the podcast. Um, Not to worry though, I have made a couple of recordings and I will try and edit them before we leave, which gives me about two days. And um, I will try and sort of schedule them and let them come out at probably three week intervals, what I'm thinking right now, but you'll see. So just so you guys know, you haven't been forgotten. The podcast is still alive and kicking Uh, but it's being put on the back burner for a little bit. If you want to follow what Rusty and I are doing, you can check out the Instagram at the Rust Cattle Dog and you'll kind of see where we're at. For now, enjoy this episode. It's an extra long one, so we should have you covered. Today, I'm talking to Joanne Yip, all the way from Redmond, Washington. So another one of the episodes in which we have to deal with time difference um, but Joanne was really kind enough to get up early so we could get this recording done. Um, we already sort of chatted a little bit, and I'm maybe just understating what a little bit is um, beforehand. And I was enormously impressed with the amount of thought that Joanne has already given to, I think, in general, the human relationship with dogs. Um, how dogs fit into our culture, parallels with how we were raised as humans. Um, So I want to give her as much of the floor as I can to share that with all of you, because I think it is going to be extremely useful. Um, So to put my money where my mouth is, I should probably turn over the mic to Joanne. Joanne, thank you very much for coming on. And please share a little bit about you and your dog. Hi, Kaiser. Thanks for having me uh, here today and for giving me the opportunity to share my story and and be a part of your podcast. I I really appreciate um, um, your time and and this time here to to have some kind of human contact because, you know, in the pandemic, it's just um, not not many opportunities for us to really speak to people or meet people or meet new friends. So this is this is great. (laughs) Thanks. You know, Um, yeah, so okay. Um, my name is Joanne and um, uh, my dog's name is Summer. Uh, she's a three-year-old rescued mutt um, 
from Singapore and she was rescued uh, in a litter of five puppies from a construction site um, in Singapore. And, and that was part of this thing what, that we call a trap, neuter and release program that the local shelters participate in where, where <clears throat> like stray dogs are, uh, uh, captures, uh, are sort of caught from the streets or from wherever they, they live. Um, and then they're neutered uh, or spayed and then released, they're either released back to where they came from, or if they're adoptable because they're puppies or they have a nice disposition, um, then the shelters will take them in and, and try to find them good homes. And that's kind of what happened to Summer because she was rescued um, when she was a puppy. So usually puppies tend to have kind of a better chance at you know, a new life with, uh, with, a, with a human family. So that's how we got her. Um, and for rescued stray dogs in Singapore, we have a term for them. We call them Singapore specials. So Summer is a Singapore special of mixed breed. We don't know exactly what breed she is, but a lot of people say she looks like a terrier because of her wire coat. So we think that that's quite possible. She also loves to dig and she loves to chase squirrels. So highly possible that she has some terrier in her. Some content. Um, yeah. Um, so we're from Singapore originally. Uh, Summer came with us. She's also from Singapore, uh, as, as I mentioned. And uh, we moved to the US uh, about a little bit over a year ago. And we now live in Redmond um, in the state of Washington, which is in the Pacific Northwest region of the US. And, and this, this, this part of the country is known for a lot of nice trails, uh, a lot of beautiful kind of nature environment um, and, and really great mild, moderate weather. And so, you know, we feel very grateful, I think, to be here because even with the shutdown, we have been able to take really nice long walks and we're still able to kind of go outdoors without being really affected by the closures. And I mean, despite the closures, I should say. And, and for summer, uh, I think the weather just the space, the fact that it's less crowded over here. Um, and, you know, she's, she's actually doing a lot better as well. She's, she's kind of more relaxed and she, a lot of her allergies have disappeared. And so, you know, just physically, she's really thriving. She's healthier here, I think. And that kind of puts her in a better mental state. So, you know, really for many reasons, we're, we're really grateful to, to be here, even though it's a bit of a weird time to be in the US. <laughs> a lot of yeah, our it's, friends it's say that to us. <laughs> the best of times to start out in a new country, yeah. you know, meet people yeah. there and uh, socialize. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But um, strangely enough, I think we've managed uh, through either through walking somewhere outside or some of our neighbors in the building um, at a of course, you know, socially distanced, but we've managed to kind of get to know a few people individually, um, individual families, um, also through my husband's um, work relationships. Like we've gotten to know some of his colleagues and we've kind of had meals with them and gotten to know their families. So I think because everything has slowed down so much, um, everything has closed down so much, it's given us in a way more time and more opportunity to focus on individual relationships and slowly really take our time to kind of get to know people that way and spend time and, and whenever we meet we because it's so precious we try to make it count and, and so that's not a bad thing I guess pretty good silver lining <laughs> yeah this this that's not a bad situation and you know 
like like I said, you know, we live in an area where there's really a lot of outdoor places to go um, for like walks and hikes. And, and so, um, you know, if I had to be anywhere during this pand pandemic in the US, I think this right now here where we are is, is a good place to be. So it's, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. So anyway, coming back to uh, Summer, uh, yeah, so she, I think you can hear her a little bit in the background, sorry. <laughs> thumping in the background. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, usually our neighbors walk around this time, so it could be that. Because they have to pass our apartment on the way to the, to the elevator. Um, yeah, so for Summer, she, she's a Singapore special and she's very special indeed because um, she has what we now know, um, we didn't have the words back then, but not what we now know to be like kind of fear aggression issues. And uh, part of that is kind of manifested as kind of dog, dog reactivity and human reactivity, meaning to say that she, she is actually kind of reactive towards other dogs and other humans in specific contexts. And, and like most dogs, she also resource guards, but because of her fear aggression and because of her her inherent anxious nature, um, her reactions when she's resource guarding is, it can be very extreme, it can be very sudden, and it can be very disproportionate to um, the incident. So it could be like a really small incident, but it's a really big reaction, a really intense one. And I think a lot of that stems from her insecurity and her anxiety um, around being around uh, what she perceives as threats, and that's usually like another dog. So um, we got her um, from a local shelter um, that was uh, kind of doing this TNR program in Singapore. And, and um, I had always wanted a dog. So actually between my husband and I, I was the one who, who kind of like sold the idea to him. And I, you know, we waited a really long time uh, to have a dog because um, in Singapore, like, like it's common in, in a lot of Asian cultures, I think we, we live with our parents until we get married and then we move out and we have our own apartment, or our own house, or our own place or whatever. And so when we were living with our parents, of course, you know, they didn't like having animals in the house and we didn't, well, I was living with my, my, my mother-in-law at the time and, you know, she, she definitely wouldn't want a dog in the house. So we, we had to wait and, when we finally got our own place, I was like really excited and, and finally had the chance to say like, okay, no, I think Yay, we're ready. Let's get the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband and I, we both like, we're both first time dog owners. So we've never had a dog of our own. Um, I used to have, like I had a cousin, I have a cousin who, who had dogs when we were younger. So I would go over to her, her house to stay and we would play, and I would play with the dogs and I loved it. And, and I always envied her. So I knew from then that I'd always, you know, I, I would want a dog of my own when, when I have my own place one day. But for him, it was more like he had never really had any contact with animals, even from young, yeah, even, even among his family. So um, he was more kind of 50-50, like he didn't really feel strongly about it either way. So I convinced him and, you know, he's the kind of person who's always open to like new experiences and, and he was open to the idea of, of kind of, doing this with with me and of course we did talk about like okay it's going to take some work you know we'll have to walk the dog there'll be like you know vet visits and yeah. responsibilities and we we discussed it and we we decided that we were prepared for it 
and we were ready to commit. And so we went to the shelter um, and we let sort of let fate decide that they like the right who, dog for us. Who would be your dog? Yeah, which on hindsight, I think was kind of naive um, because now I know that like, there is certain there are certain things that you have to kind of think about when you think about wanting to get a dog whether you're adopting or whether you are buying from a responsible breeder um, and choosing the kind of dog that would really fit you and your lifestyle and you know your experience and your personality and your inclinations and there is a thing called there's there is such a thing as having the right fit between dog and human and and even even if you're adopting it doesn't mean that you can't go through that thought process or you know you just have to take whatever's available. I think you can still do kind of like what we, we now know to be like temperament assessments and kind of just ask your questions and really take your time to get to know the dog and really assess if it's the right dog for you before deciding. But you know, of course, we didn't know any of this at that time. We didn't think about any of this at that time. We were no. just ready <laughs> and we felt like the universe was on our side. So we went, we asked. We met, we met, we met the bunch of dogs. We met the the litter of five puppies, and and Summer was the only one who didn't immediately run up to us and lick our faces and jump all over us. Like she kind of stayed back a little bit from the the rest of the pups. And after everybody was done, and then she sort of tentatively came to us and kind of gave us a little lick and like wagged her tail a little bit, and then she went back to her corner. And so for my husband, it was like, yes, that's the dog. You know, it's it's low maintenance, it looks like it's, it's low maintenance, it's like calm, it's 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 you know easygoing, it's it's it doesn't lick so much. So he wanted a dog that doesn't really lick you so much, which is like <laughs> He was like, um, I don't mind having a dog, but like, you know, could we get one that doesn't kind of lick you like all over the face and like slobber all over you? I was like, okay, how about we go to the toy store then? <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, a joke, but yeah. So he was really, I think, drawn to Summer. Like we were really drawn to Summer because we thought like um, she looked very calm and very mellow and very um, kind of easy to be around in that sense like not very attention seeking and we wanted a dog like that um so if only you'd known then what you know what? now about yeah. her and dog behavior in general yeah if if only if, if i knew then what i know now i think my decisions would have been very different you know and 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 things would have turned out very differently but you know people always say that you don't get the dog that you want but you get the dog that you need um oh yeah and I I guess that's how it is <laughs> um yeah so we we didn't decide that day we took like you know we took a day to go home and discuss and like sort of talk about it but it it, it was still you know we still decided pretty quickly within 24 hours we decided that okay you know we'll take her and so she came to our home and um she when she first came she was very timid like she was very uh nervous very shy and you know we understood that that was quite typical of um rescued strays like they tend to be a little skittish they tend to take time to warm up <clears throat> and they tend to be a little bit more wary of of um humans and things around them so you know we gave her some space and and we sort of like just took her for walks and and try to get her, uh, try to to get her comfortable. Um, and then, on the tenth day, 
that she came to us, um, um, something happened, uh, which then set the cost for, I think, a lot of the, the behaviors that we saw in her later on. And I think this was really one of the big kind of incidents, especially because it happened during um, her second fear period, uh, which was around the six month old kind of mark. So what happened was we were coming back from our morning walk one day and we walked past a local supermarket and from a distance we saw that there were two dogs left unattended but they were tied to uh, a pole outside the supermarket <clears throat> and as we walked past um, and sort of took a step in the direction um, they suddenly just went from just staring at us to like suddenly just going completely berserk like they went crazy like barking and snarling and lunging and um, just really wanting to get at us and then suddenly they broke free um, oh. I think because yeah the leash wasn't tight um, securely and so they managed in the in the act of lunging they managed to break free two of them they managed to break free and they charged towards us still barking and snarling and showing teeth and like really kind of I mean, to me at that time, it looked like a real full-on attack and sounded like a real full-on attack. So they chased us into the supermarket and someone was screaming and I was screaming and it was really chaotic and really traumatizing. Um, anyway, like to cut a long story short, uh, eventually, you know, someone separated the dogs and the, 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 the person who was with them came to take them away and we were left in, on our own to calm down and... and we managed to sort of collect ourselves, um, breathe again, and then I brought I brought her home, and and she she took a like for the whole one week after that she was really, anytime we saw a dog, her hackles would rise, she would give off a low growl while retreating backwards, and so you could tell like there was a lot of fear in her, and she was mm. getting ready to defend herself. So even though it sounded like she was trying to, even it, even though it sounded fierce, but from her body language, you could tell she was just being defensive. And the whole week after that, she sort of shut down. Like she was really depressed at home. She didn't interact much. She just kind of slept a lot. She kept into, she, she didn't move around much. She ate, but she ate very unenthusiastically. And this went on for a week and uh, we didn't know what to do. So we just kind of, you know, I, I asked the shelter for some advice and they said, just let her be. And so we let her be. And then after one week, uh, one day we were walking um, around our neighborhood and we saw one of our neighbors um, with their dog. And we didn't know them at that time, but they later became very good friends of ours, but we didn't know them at that time. And for some reason from a distance, Summer looked like she was cute, like for the first time in, 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 in one week, like she um, looked like she wasn't afraid. She looked, in fact, she looked kind of curious, like she wanted to go and say hi. So I was like, me and my husband, we were like, are you are you sure like do you really want to go and say hi because you know you just aren't you still kind of recovering so we were very surprised um but we let her because you know we we looked at her body language and she 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 wasn't growling and her tail was wagging and she kind of looked like she was going into like a little crouch like play bow kind of thing and so we let her say hi to holly and and you know it it it, it went well. She licked um, Holly's face and the two dogs got to know each other. We got to know our neighbours. And, and then that was that. And from that moment on, she 
started to slowly get better. So she stopped growling when she saw dogs. Um, she would be able to pass them and there would be no issue. And so I thought to myself like, oh, she got over that pretty quick. Like, um, yeah, I had fixed. no, I, yeah, it's like she recovered on her own and I didn't have to do anything. Wow, dogs are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea about dog behavior. I had no idea about the growth stages that they would go through and about things that would manifest at certain ages. I had no idea. I had no idea about anything. And, and so like life went on and, and, um, and it was, you know, things were fine. We went on our walks. Um, she rarely had any incidents. And during those early days, again, because I was really stupidly ignorant, um, um, my, idea of trying to socialize her I thought that you know oh we should socialize her to help her and my idea of socializing her was kind of allowing her to say hi to um, dogs that we met along the way when we took our walks uh, whether we knew them or not like you know oh this dog let's go say hi um, on leash oh my gosh and um, taking her to like the local markets to kind of be around people be around crowds to get her quote unquote used to it um, bringing her to dog parks, bringing her to dog cafes. Um, you know, I guess in a way, it was a little bit on, on a, of a selfish thing on my part because that was the life that I envisioned I wanted to have with a dog when, when I decided that I wanted to, to get a dog and that when I decided that I was ready for a dog, that was the life that I envisioned um, I wanted to have. Like to be able to go anywhere with, with her, to, to be able to do all kinds of fun things with her, to be able to be out there in the world with her by my side. And that was, you know, and, and she would get along with everyone. She would be friendly, you know, she'd be comfortable everywhere. And that was my ideal, you know. And, and so when, I, when, when she came to us, I started to slowly make that, I guess, try and make that happen. And, I, and to myself, I justified that that was me trying to socialize her as well. And that was also helping her. Um, so, I, yeah, you know, I did all these things. And, you know, to her credit, I think she was fine. Like, she appeared fine. I, I wouldn't say she was fine. But, like, to my, un, un, my inexperienced eye, she seemed fine. Like, she, we didn't have any incidents at cafes. She would lie down and, you know, she wouldn't react even when people came towards us. Uh, which is not the case now, but like back then, you know, she 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 very rarely had a reaction. Uh, wherever I brought her, she was able to kind of be in dog parks, um, share her water bowl, be around other dogs without seeming to be very uncomfortable, without seeming to have any kind of tension. And so I thought I was doing the right thing, and I continued to do that for like the first, I think, six to eight months um, that we had her. So you know, until she was about 12 or 13 months old, we continued to bring her to these places and all that, and do all this kind of stuff. And um, I think we first started to see signs of her problem behaviors first towards dogs. The human reactivity was kind of later, but she became sort of um, reactive towards dogs first. And it kind of made sense, I guess, when you think about the attack that she had yeah. and then how that manifested. So when she was about eight months old, um, we had our first stay over with Lizzie. So Lizzie is Summer's sister and um, uh, we kind of got to know their owners who adopted around the same time as us and, and we became friends. And so one day like Lizzie's owner came to us and said, oh, we're going away. And like, would you mind watching Lizzie for us for a couple of days? Um, and, you know, so give the girls a, a chance to kind of 
reconnect and like see each other again. And I thought that's a great idea. And, you know, they haven't seen each other for a while since we took our obedience class um, a few months ago. And uh, it would be a good chance for them to meet again. So I said, yes. And also at that time I was like thinking, oh great, I can, you know, experience what it's like to have two dogs because in my mind, <laughs> in, my, in my mind at that time, I was like one day, one day maybe you know we could have two dogs like one day maybe I want two dogs I, I want two dogs and yeah now when I say that to my husband he's like ah, are you insane do you hear yourself <laughs> do you hear yourself <laughs> I mean I guess a, a, a tiny part of me is still kind of harboring that hope that one day I might we might be able to have a second dog but it's a very far off distant kind of dreamlike hope that you know, I know it's, it's all there is to it. Um, but at that time, you know, I was really excited to have uh, Lizzie over, to have another dog in the house, to kind of see how summer would be and to give summer someone to play with. So Lizzie came over and it, well, um, uh, it didn't go well. Uh, it was, it was, I think, I think that was the first time we really saw summer's reactivity uh, a full expression of Summer's reactivity for the first time, where um, she was kind of shadowing Lizzie. It was a bit of territorial kind of resource guarding of the home as well, which of course it's it's normal. It's not uncommon in dogs, but um, uh, you know, like I said, I think it's for Summer. I think it's a little bit re related. And at that time, you know, we really didn't have the words to categorize different things. I mean, to us, to me, it just looked like. Like it, it just looked like behavior problems as like one this bucket. Big that thing, yeah. Like something's yeah, as, not as right. This. She's not supposed yeah. to be like this. She's supposed to be this dog that uh, is going yeah. to go everywhere with me and play with every yeah. dog and be good and sweet. Yeah. So I was very confused and like, um, and I felt very um, inexperienced and I felt very ill-equipped and ill-prepared to handle this situation because I... Up until that point, I hadn't really seen her behave. I, this was the first time I was seeing her behave like like that, where she was kind of snapping at Lizzie and growling at Lizzie everywhere Lizzie went. Um, Summer would follow her and she would growl at Lizzie if Lizzie tried to reach for her toy. Like she was guarding Lizzie against Lizzie's own toys and Lizzie's own bed and Lizzie's own bowl. And and it was just crazy. And, and um, like the level of possessiveness over things that we we saw during that first evening together just it was just the first evening Lizzie had just come over and just the kind of behaviors that we saw in summer made me really uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do short of like saying no don't do that no and I just kept saying that but it obviously it didn't it didn't really work and you know we tried to separate the girls um but uh um, you know, there was still a lot of tension. And um, um, I think on the second day of the stayover, Lizzie, at one point, Lizzie tried to play with Summer. So Lizzie is a very well-adjusted dog. Lizzie is very, very sweet. She's very, um, she's very uh, social. She's more confident. I would say she's more confident than Summer. And she, um, she plays with a lot more ease. Um, by herself and with people compared to Summer. So she's like, so for Lizzie, for example, she's very happy to just kind of take a toy and then go to a corner and play by herself. But Summer's not able to do that because she can't relax, you know, around yeah. 
she, she gets very easily, she's very sensitive to changes in the environment. She's very sensitive to other people moving around her. And so she always wants to know what's going on. And so she can't relax by herself. But Lizzie is like the opposite. So on the second day, Lizzie tried to play with her and then it turned into a growl snap and kind of like a reaction from mm. Summer. And I was like, okay, so I thought last night was a one-off thing and, you know, you know, but I the, the next day I'm seeing it again and it's coming out in different forms, in different scenarios. And it started to get me really concerned, like, because, you know, I have a little bit of anxiety myself and, and also because I'm a first-time owner, um, I I didn't know what was going on and and it just kind of started to really stress me out because I was afraid. I was afraid of what would happen if they really turned, you know, they really started yeah. fighting. I was afraid of what Summer would do to Lizzie. I was afraid of what Summer would do to us. I was afraid that, you know, this was going to be like a permanent behavior and it was going to be a real problem that would just only get worse and then I wouldn't know what to do about it because I, I don't know anything about, I don't know the first thing about, you know, dog aggression at that time. Like, so I was, I was asking a lot of questions to myself and I was asking a lot of like, why is she doing this? Why this? Why that? What should we do? And I did connect with the shelter at that time to kind of ask for help and they would advise me on those specific moments. But it was very hard for me to understand and I really wanted to understand like on the, bigger picture on a broader level like what was going on like what what's happening to my dog because she was really sweet and then now suddenly we're seeing all these behaviors that are building um, did it make you and, feel like insecure like oh my gosh do I have a do I have a bad dog now sort of those kind of thoughts not at that point yet but later on very quickly as things got worse yes um, it did make me question myself a lot and it did cause a lot of self-doubt um, and anxiety and um, insecurity in myself because I didn't, I didn't have the confidence that I could handle the situation. I didn't have the confidence that I knew what was going on. I didn't have the confidence that, um, like I was, I was afraid of my own dog because I didn't know, at one point I couldn't tell what she was going to do or or how she was going to feel or what she was going to react to to what because it seemed that her behavior was very unpredictable and it seemed like she was reacting to random things and very often I only knew that something was a trigger after she had a reaction hmm. and you know the whole that whole process of finding out what she was reactive to was very, very stressful for me because she's reacted to a lot of things. She's sensitive to a lot of things. And, and I think, yeah, so that, that was, that was kind of like the process for us, but not at this point. So in the early, the early stages, when we first started to see signs, I was still just trying to understand what was going on. So I, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really that I wasn't really that deep into it yet. Um, I think things got the worst. I think the peak of her her <clears throat> the peak of her reactivity, um, and I say peak <clears throat> uh, for several reasons. Um, one, I think it was the most intense period, and secondly, we were. Um, still quite inexperienced and we we hadn't we were still quite new to her and she was still quite new to us and we didn't know her that well so there was a lot of kind of lack of 
knowledge um, the, uh, of the relationship. There was a lack of knowledge of the dog. There was a lack of knowledge of dog behavior in general. So our own inadequacy plus the intensity of her, her, her behavior, uh, it made that period um, like the, the, the worst part of our journey and the lowest, the lowest point of our journey. Um, and that was when she was between 12 months to 15 months old. Um, where we started to see her, you know, react in situations where she was previously okay and now she's not. So previously when we brought her to the dog park or when, you know, we, we met up with friends on walks, we would have her water bowl out and she would be okay to share her water bowl. And suddenly she's not. So suddenly she's like guarding us. She's guarding the water bowl. She's snapping at any dog that comes close. She started snapping at dogs that, that came around to sniff her rear or that, move towards her in a way that she didn't like or she you know if if another dog was um persistent you know uh, and and continued to to come towards her even though she she's showing signs that you know she's turning her head and she doesn't want to engage and if the dog still comes towards her she would snap and it started to get increased in intensity it increased in frequency um and and it just kind of really you know, I just got more and more stressed and it got to a point where like, okay, you know, we need to get help. And so uh, around the time when she was about 15 months, we engaged a, a kind of behavior modification trainer to help us with a program. Um, and just, and just to interrupt you real quickly, like in Singapore, um, what's the training regime like is it force free training mainly or is there like something that's a, a pre predominant style of training so um <clears throat> we have i guess like uh, everywhere else or like you know many other places uh, here in the us uh, we have a variety of different kinds of trainers um practicing different schools of training and we do have a number of like positive trainers, force-free trainers. Um, and so the, the trainer that we engaged was positive, force-free and uh, using science-based methodology. And that, that's, that's how she described herself. Um, uh, and she had a behavior modification kind of program. So um, um, we, we went with her and, you know, we, she came up with like a six session kind of uh, training plan and we followed that. But it was, I think on hindsight, uh, she did teach us, um, you know, a lot of useful things and she did give us a lot of insight to dog behavior that we didn't previously have. And she did give us um, a more, I guess, a, a more informed understanding of like the different aspects of um, dog behavior. So meaning like, so for example, in Summer's case, like when a dog behaves like this, when you see a certain behavior in a certain, in a certain context, um, there's usually a reason or several reasons, several possible reasons as to why the dog was being like that. It could be medical, it could be health related, it could be genetics, it could be um, environmental, so something that happened. Uh, it could be just a developmental stage, you know, and it could be any of these things. And un unless you properly eliminate um, kind of one by one, it's, you know, uh, it's sometimes a little bit hard to pinpoint exactly why the dog's behaving in a certain way but and at the end of the day what's more, really more important is to try and understand uh, try and, and learn to read 
um, the, the behavior and the body language of your dog much better so that you can understand how she's feeling at any given point in time um, and manage accordingly. So what the trainer recommended to us was really like a combination of management techniques versus um, uh, together with uh, slowly treating her generalized anxiety uh, using supplements, using kind of um, enrichment games, um, uh, kind of increasing her engagement activities with us at home and like all kinds of like calming um, techniques, uh, calming strategies, I would say. Um, but because we only had six sessions with her and it was kind of spread out over half a year, it, at the end of the day, I think it, was, it wasn't very effective because there was a lot of like teaching of the theory of it um, and we didn't get a lot of chance to really like practice um, the exercises. I mean, we had to do a lot of it ourselves, of course, but I don't know, I just felt like it had very mixed results. Um, and now looking back, I think one of the main, one of the contributing factors is also the, the environment um, of Singapore. We are very, we are very small, very crowded, very busy uh, um, urban environment. Because um, like we are a city state, right? So we are a city and a country and, and it's just people everywhere, children everywhere, <laughs> dogs everywhere, <laughs> traffic everywhere. Um, and then children on state scooters. I really hate those things. And, oh, yeah. and, and even in our neighborhood, there were like, you know, there's just, you can't go, there's no time of the day where you would really go out and not meet anyone or like, um, you know, not, not kind of like have something that would be, not encounter something that would be scary. So I think finding a quiet spot to train was extremely challenging. Finding um, like dogs to train with, like appropriate dogs to train with was also very challenging. So, you know, there were a lot of, there's a lot of kind of um, additional you know, details. That, but, that you know, come into yeah. Play. Yeah. But I guess in short, like, you know, the training did help by giving us the knowledge and certain kind of, like, it taught us, it gave us the, the vocabulary to, to try and um, understand what was going on and the vocabulary to try and address what was going on. So we learn about things like management techniques. We learn about things like redirection. We learn about things like threshold. We learn about things like decompression. We learned that Summer was a dog that's actually very conflicted. And so this is a term that um, our trainer in Singapore taught us that you can see that she's very conflicted because a lot of times she's, she's actually wants, she, she's moving forward. So she wants to engage, but then the minute the person or the dog kind of makes a move towards her, she, she runs away or she reacts or she, she shows a great deal of discomfort and she doesn't want to, then she doesn't want to engage anymore. Um, but then, you know, she'll come back again uh, because the curiosity will get the better of her. And so it's this back and forth thing. And um, I think that also causes a lot of turmoil in her and, and it causes a certain degree of stress in her. Yeah, for sure. And that, that, that contributes, I think, to her, her reactions sometimes and the, the seeming uh, unpredictability of, of her behavior. So, uh, yeah, anyway, you know, this was kind of what it was like uh, in Singapore. And, um, uh, and I think just before we moved to the US, uh, we had a farewell uh, it, for, for Lizzie because Lizzie was also moving to the Philippines where one of her owners is from. And 
I, I bring this up because this particular incident is seared into my mind as one of the, the signs that told me that we, we had something really serious that was going on and we really needed to, to address it because it, it's just very difficult to live with for me. You know, it really, my anxiety just shot through the roof. And so basically what happened was we had a farewell party at Lizzie's house um, and Lizzie invited uh, 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 some puppies from the litter. So she invited some of her brothers and sisters, Summer as well. Um, and then um, um, a couple of, uh, like actually one other dog that we didn't know, this little French bulldog that Lizzie sometimes also has uh, stayovers with called Lola, I think. So what happened was up until this point, uh, Summer was only kind of reactive and aggressive in our home, in our neighborhood. Um, and, you know, we kind of thought like, okay, maybe there's a little bit of that resource territory, resource guarding territorialism going on. And, you know, it's her house, we understand. But then- uh, You were going to somebody else's house now. So. Yeah, I was going to somebody else's house and it was, it's, it's clearly, you know, she knows Lizzie's place. I mean, I guess maybe she was quite familiar with Lizzie's place by then because we had also done a couple of stay, quite a few stayovers by then. And, but, you know, the point is like, it's someone else's house and there were a lot of other people around. There were other dogs around. And, um, you know, when the, so for some reason, when the, the, uh, when the, when the, when the new dog came in later, so they, they arrived late. When they came into the house, someone just started growling and started looking clearly uncomfortable that there was this intrusion and uh, it didn't take her long to, and then I guess I also kind of tensed up because I started to like, hey, no, don't do that. And I, you know, my energy also changed. And I, I don't know if that was, that kind of expedited the, 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 the process reaction. or that kind of sped up the reaction because like immediately after that, she attacked the dog and we had to spend, and then it made, and everyone was shocked and it made everyone really uncomfortable. And I was really embarrassed um, because she repeatedly tried to attack the dog because we, we separated them and then we tried to kind of give it a moment and have them calm down. And then we slowly start, sort of tried um, to reintroduce. Tried to see if, yeah, tried to reintroduce, but no, it didn't work. And and it, it got, in fact, it got worse and worse. And so I took Summer out of the house and, and I asked the other dog owner, like, maybe let's try kind of like meeting outside the house. And then we come in together. It's like Summer is the kind of dog that like once she gets into a mode or once she marks you as a threat, there, there is no changing her mind in that same session. So once she, once she reacts to something as a threat, once she gets into that state of, mind of you know I want to defend myself I want to be in this on guard mode we have to leave like we have to break the session or we have there's no getting her out of that within the same session at least not from my experience and so and that's why I'm always very very careful and that's why I'm always kind of really nervous um, about introducing her to anything or like having any sudden changes in our situation. Like, so for example, if I'm taking her for a walk, if suddenly someone just appears or a dog just appears and say, can I say hi? Or like a person just comes towards us, I tense up because um, I know what could potentially happen to Summer. And like, it's not like, a, oh, you know, well, she'll get scared and then she'll move on. She, she can't move on. She can't get out of it, you know? And, and so 
I was always very stressed and very nervous about her getting into any kind of incident because once she gets into it, it just it can only get worse. It doesn't it only get escalate. better. But isn't that yeah. sort of a double-edged sword? I mean, just today I was actually thinking about that, that when, like, for example, when, when another dog approaches us on the walk, I will generally say the, you know, my dog's not friendly and I'll move to the side or engage um, Rusty in in games or whatnot. But sometimes, of course, the other owner's clueless and the dog is just right in yeah. your face. So, so my sort of strategy right now is to body block this dog move Rusty um, behind me and just, you know, wait for the owner to come get that dog. And if I can still engage with Rusty while blocking the dog, I will do that. And I will give him like certain like, tricks to to do or, or engage him in a way. But I am also still wondering like, oh, but is my reaction of this body blocking the other dog and telling the other owner, please call your dog or um, this I guess also tensing up because I'm sure that that's what I do. Is that now helping or is it making things worse? You know, and that's sort of what I hear you say as well, that you know how badly it can go. So on the one hand, you don't want to let things run their course, but on the other hand, your reaction may actually be the thing um, yeah, that's contributing that or that's yeah. triggering. And yeah. it's just, it's confusing the heck out of me for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, even I still have that kind of conversation with myself, even now, just knowing all that we know now and, you know, experiencing all that we've experienced with someone. And I still feel this kind of, I still second guess myself. Um, I still have a lot of, uh, I'm still unsure in a lot of moments. And I still feel like a lot of times I screw up. And because I screw up, you know, someone has an incident or I screw up and I affect summer, summer's behavior. And so I am the cause and I, I still feel that way. And, and a lot of, and that contributes to a lot of guilt um, over the way summer has turned out. Um, and, you know, I mean, on that subject of guilt also, like, honestly, like the, the months that we had summer in Singapore, I think we, I was going through a learning process. And so a lot of things that I did, um, now looking back were really not not ideal and really were not not the appropriate things to do to help summer um, through whatever issues that that she was facing and and it didn't help her to face her fears but I you know at that time I was still kind of like um, trying to learn and I was trying to kind of test the boundaries and test different things and test different methods and and um, trying to see if this worked or that worked. And, and above it all, I think I was still clinging on to the hope that we could have the kind of life that I wanted to have with her. And that, you know, this training program, these new methods of redirection and management and whatnot that I was learning was eventually going to fix it. And when we fix it, we can go back to our regular lives. And I think at that time that was still in the back of my mind. And, and because of that, every time she made a little bit of progress or every time she seemed a little bit more stable or in a little bit of a better state of mind, uh, I, was, I would say to my husband or I would, I would think to myself, oh, okay, maybe now we can kind of bring her back to the dog park or like, oh, maybe now we can, you know, have her go to a, a, a gathering of other people and other dogs and, 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 and maybe that will work because, you know, she's better, right? And, and kind of that's why 
we ended up at Lizzie's place, you know, even though now on hindsight, if, if, if I were to advise my former self, I would say like that's a really bad idea <laughs> to kind of put Summer in a confined space with a bunch of other strangers and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of dogs. And it's just, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I mean, at that, I think uh, I was listening to, I think one of your earlier episodes or another podcast and, and one of the things the person said was like, you know, we, it's like we, we often kind of beat ourselves up for like making a mess of things and then causing our dogs to have a reaction and like, you know, we should have known better. We should have done better. And I say that to myself all the time, but you know, at the time when I did what I did and I'm not excusing myself because I acknowledge that it was the wrong thing to do and it wasn't good for Summer and it put her in a lot more stress than she was. And she was not ready for it. You know, the thing was, you know, I failed to recognize that she really wasn't ready for a lot of these things. And she may never be ready and I have to respect that. I think I was also on my own journey to kind of coming to terms with that and seeing that. But at that time I didn't see it. And 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 so like I I I, I find I it interesting wrong. that you use the word I failed to see it. Because to me, fail would imply that you knew what to do. But I think at the time if I'm just trying to think back, you didn't know, you did not have the knowledge at the time. So you cannot be seeing it. It's easy for me to say, of course, I struggle with this myself, but you cannot or should not, you can, but you shouldn't see it as a failure because the failure, like the word fail implies, you know, that you'd already, that you already knew what to do, but you didn't. And you, you can't, you know, like what you don't know when you know better, you do better. And at the time, you didn't know better. So it cannot be seen or should not be seen as failure. But it's so easy for us to use those words uh, on ourselves. And I think actually it might have been like I, either on the podcast, I think maybe with Alyssa or Liana, where we were talking about extend grace to yourself. It's the hardest thing to do, really the hardest thing to do. But we should be doing it. You know, we can't be. Like, it's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help anybody feel no. better. It's not going to change history because what's been has been. Sorry, off on a rant here. Just back no, off. No, no, I mean, I, I, I hear you. And and um, I, I think now where we are and now where I am, I'm in a much better place in a sense that I've reconciled a lot of uh, what happened on my own journey with Summer and the things that I, I did um, and the guilt that I felt. Um, so, you know, why I feel so much guilt is because like, you know, I feel like I put her through all these things. And also, um, I think we talked about this earlier, like um, in the beginning, when we first got summer and I didn't have any experience in how to interact with dogs and, and what it mean, meant to kind of bring up a dog in the household. Um, you know, I did what most, what many, many people I know, I suppose would, would do in, in this situation, which is like we, we parent, you know, sort of quote unquote, we parent the dog in a way that we ourselves were parented. And so like it was, during my generation, it was it was a lot of tough love. It was a lot of rules. It was a lot of strict um, 
things that we had to follow. It was a lot of things that we weren't allowed to do. It was a lot of like, you have to obey. You have to be obedient and listen to your parents and you have to listen and do what I say. And, and I think I took a lot of that, um, what I experienced from my childhood and applied it, whether consciously or unconsciously, in the way I was um, trying to, in, in the way that I interacted with Summer in those early initial months that she came to our place, I, you know, I had this idea, I have to, I have to create the perfect dog. I have to, I have to do this the, the right way. I have to do the right thing. I have to be the right kind of owner. I have to take the right approach. I have to have the right answers and I have to have the dog behave in, in the right manner. And, and no pressure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I kept one, I was just kind of obsessed with getting it right. And every time she had an incident, it completely threw me off. It threw everything that I, I, I established in my mind right out the window. It completely knocked me on my feet and, and I was in completely alien territory. And, and, you know, when I didn't know, you know, when you don't know anything, you fall back on your instincts. When you don't know anything, you fall back on your experience and your background. So I, I, I kept on going back to that kind of disciplinary kind of approach, um, you know, being strict with her kind of, you know, saying no to her and like, you know, I, and, and I'll be honest, like I yelled at her too, because I, you know, for, because I was afraid, because I was angry, I was frustrated and because I didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't know what else to do. And all of that um, really, you know, even as we talk about forgiving ourselves and extending grace to ourselves, I think all of that, I have to acknowledge the responsibility of contributing to her state of mind. And I have to acknowledge the responsibility of um, kind of making her the dog that she is today. And, you know, I had the same conversation with my husband and he always, he kind of, he takes a more detached approach, a more logical approach. And he says the same, he, he says what you, you told me, he says the same thing, like, you know, it's not your fault. You've done your best and you're doing your best and you didn't know any better. And, and, and you, know, you should just not be so hard on yourself. And, and, and so part of my journey has been to learn to differentiate between taking responsibility and just kind of being um, stuck in that emotional rut where I start to let my emotions eat me up inside and, not, and paralyze me from kind of doing anything else and kind of prevent me from moving forward. I've had to learn to differentiate the emotions from the objective fact that yes I was responsible I probably was responsible I'm part of an environment so of course what I do to the dog what I do to Summer um, my energy around her and you know the way I interact with her would definitely affect her development would definitely affect her behavior so I have to you know as a fact that is a fact I have to acknowledge that but you know am I going to then allow this overwhelming, uh, this guilt to overwhelm me and just prevent me from moving forward and making things right, then the answer is, I guess, no, right? It shouldn't, it, it shouldn't prevent me from, from moving forward and trying to be better. And so that took a while for me to kind of learn. <clears throat> but, you know, I, carry, I still carry a bit of that guilt with me on my shoulders and I still feel very you know because of that I feel extra responsible for her now to I mean I've always felt 
extra responsible for summer because it's my decision to want the dog. It's my decision to bring this dog into our household. I, I kind of orchestrated the whole thing and my husband sort of supported me um, and supported what I wanted. And so, you know, I felt responsible for summer. I felt responsible for also the stress that I was causing my husband with all these things happening because when summer had an incident, I got stressed. When I got stressed, then he got upset and then he starts to like, you know, and so at one point, um, he was, we were having these conversations like, you know, if this is, if this is causing you this much of a breakdown, if this is causing you this much anxiety, then, you know, do you really think that this is the right, do you think it's really right for us to go on with, with her that, do you think this is really the right fit? And, and I didn't want to hear it. Like at first, I just didn't want to entertain the thought that, you know, the possibility or the option that this dog is not going to be with us. No, like we adopted her, we committed, we have to try. And we and I, I, I always felt like we haven't done enough. We haven't tried enough. Uh, you know, this is not enough. Um, what we've done with her is not enough and we cannot give up now. So, um, it was a lot of, you know, I guess even as she was conflicted, we were conflicted ourselves, um, going back and forth on like, did we do the right thing? Um, are we helping her? What is the right thing to do? What was your husband's take on this other than, you know, the more grounded down to earth approach of, is this really um, what we want? Was he like uh, thinking along the same lines as you or emotionally sort of less deeply involved or more concerned with what it was doing to the relationship between the two of you? Um, I, I think he's a lot more logical than I am and he's a lot more um, level-headed and he doesn't, well, he, 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 he gets angry too, but he gets angry at different things from I from the things that I get angry at and the things that I get affected at. So we have different, I would say, I guess, triggers in a way. Um, so in the context of this situation with Summer, I think he, his view is that, you know, she's just being a dog. She's just kind of learning and growing and deciding what she likes or doesn't like, and she's being a dog. And, you know, like, let's not like, it's, it's not really something that we should really kind of feel so affected by. Um, and, you know, when she has an incident where she's kind of attacked another dog, I, and I use the word attack loosely. By attack, I mean like, you know, she growls, snaps, lunges, and basically gotcha. makes a move toward the dog. But she has never done anything with a dog that has drawn blood. So she's never drawn blood. But she's had many, many many of these incidents where she's made a move towards the dog. Yeah, altercations. And so, you know, he's like, you know, we shouldn't let, like, we shouldn't let it affect us. And it doesn't affect him as much as it does affect me. Like, when this happens, he just like, okay, you know, I'm just going to step back and like, let's do a debrief after this and mm. see what happened kind of thing. And, you know, he kind of takes on a little bit of like that kind of problem solving approach. Um, but he was also like, he, because I was doing most of the reading up, I was doing most of the research, I was doing most of the finding out of like what's going on and he was just hearing it from me because, you know, he was, he was much, he had a much heavier workload in his job and so he, 
you know, and he, and I, I freelance, I'm a freelance copywriter. So I have time, I have more flexibility in how I want to use my time. And, you know, just for practical reasons, I ended up doing a lot more of the late work in terms of trying to understand what was going on. So uh, he would hear it from me and then, you know, to him, it's like, okay, I'll take in this information, but, you know, I don't think it's as serious as you make it out, make to, it out to, to be. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but I could feel that that was what he thought. And my answer to that would always be, yeah, but you don't spend as much time um, as I do with her. Because at that time, this was pre-COVID, and so he was still going into the office. And so during the day, I'm with Summer at home, and I walk her, I... I I, I spend time with her. I'm with her in the afternoon. Sometimes we go for extra walks. So I'm the one like kind of really spending the most time with her. And so I, I always tell him, you you don't see her in as many different situations as I have, so I as do. I do. Do and, you feel that, you... Uh, oh, sorry. Do, do you feel that others no, no. were also downplaying the situation? Yeah, I mean, um, so we lived in a neighborhood where like quite a number of our neighbors have uh, have kind of um, have dogs and and uh, we get along with our uh, with our, our neighbors and we got to know a lot of them through walking our dogs actually and so you know they're wonderful people they're very supportive of, of us um, they love summer they're very kind to her and you know over time you know because we meet outside uh, we meet in very neutral circumstances, we introduce properly, we do walks together. So situations in which, you know, summer finds, it's situations that summer finds very non-threatening. So they never see that side of her because to, to them, she's always friendly. She's always happy to see them because she, she got to know them, you know, slowly and she got to yeah. know them outside and she got to know them in situations that are not triggering. So, you know, a lot of what they know about her problems are from me when I share them and I, I try not to do it so often because I don't want to be that person that just talks about her dog and nothing else and only about her problems and nothing else and so you know I wanted to get to know them as well I wanted to hear about their lives and I wanted it you know it you know a conversation is, is two-way and so I tried to also you know be a good listener and so like I didn't always talk about summer but when I did like that was the only time I guess that they would hear about her problems and and you know they are wonderful people and very well intentioned and whenever we needed help like let's say I you know because at one point I was kind of like trying to look for people with calm dogs in our neighborhood to kind of do walks together because um, I felt that that was helpful for summer to kind of still get exposure to being around dogs, but it wasn't stressful for her. It wasn't scary for her. And she didn't have an opportunity to react when we were walking. And so like they would walk with us anytime we asked and, and all that. But I think that they, as well intentioned as they were, they never really, no one really understood what I felt. Uh, even my husband, I think because we share different perspectives, I think no one really understood um, um, how serious um i the, the the problem was to me how serious the situation was to me and how helpless i felt because i i i couldn't get um i couldn't get support like i i didn't i didn't it was it was hard for me to to talk about this with someone who understood first of all and it was hard for me to talk about it with someone who understood and who had the knowledge to help me 
um, short of engaging another trainer or an actual trainer, you know. And, you know, a lot of the need for support, at least from my experience as a person who is living with a reactive dog and facing everyday challenges, I think a lot of the support that I needed was on an everyday level. Like, you know, I uh, like oftentimes I felt loneliest when I was alone with, when I was alone with Summer, thinking through these issues and having no one to talk to, um, you know, I felt the loneliest when, you know, on days where like, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, summer, I would see, I would watch her sleep and she would look so peaceful and, and so sweet. And, and I would feel this love for her. Like, like I really, I would feel this desire to protect her from everything that was scary. But at the same time, I was under so much stress and I would also remember, I would also think about the times where things got out of hand and, and I didn't know what to do. And I would just sit there kind of going through all these thoughts on my own. And I had no one to talk to uh, about, you know, like I had no one to talk, talk to um, regarding all these things and help just kind of helping me to process everything. And I didn't know about, you know, I, 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 at, at that time, I didn't know about these Facebook groups that, that, that were online or like these books you could read. And even then, like, I feel like, you know, um, an online community in books is kind of like a different level of support as like having a, a person that you could talk to. And so a lot of people around us um, were there, but at the same time, I felt lonely. And that's a very strange feeling. Um, a lot of our friends also had dogs that didn't have the problems that we had. So we seem to be the only ones with a dog that had issues with so many things. Um, so some people would have like, oh, would say like, oh yeah, my dog always barks when people come to the door. So, you know, oh, um, my dog always pulls on the leash. Oh yeah, you know, my dog doesn't really like kids. But yeah, I get you, I know of... where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, you know, oh, he'll, you know, but he'll just walk away. But, you know, yeah, I, I understand that, you know, I, I understand how you feel. And then that kind of conversation usually won't really go anywhere because... You know, it was nowhere near what you were going through. Yeah, and I didn't want it to be like a oh, you know, my dog is worse than your dog. Like, let's compare, see, <laughs> like the degree of like bad. You know, like yeah. it. You know, I didn't want it to go that dire- into in that direction and become like a pity party. So I just like I just eventually I just didn't really talk about it anymore because I I, I kind of figured out who I could and couldn't talk to about it, and most people I couldn't really talk to about it because we didn't we didn't have the same experiences, you know, like some, some people would have dogs that were only uncomfortable with kids or with other dogs or with cats. Someone was uncomfortable with everything. And, you know, people who told me like, oh yeah, my dog is this, is this also, but they could have friends over, they could have other dogs over, or they could bring the dog to the dog park and there was no issue. So there were things that, there were a lot of things that they could still do that was denied to us because of the way that summer was and, and that we were struggling with because of the way that summer was. And, and I, you know, there was no one that was uh, experiencing things to the degree that we were. Uh, and also in, you know, one of the things I think is, is that in Singapore, um, I think the culture is such that we don't really have in um, a very mature awareness of um, what it's like to live with dogs, what it's like to interact with dogs and what dog or animal behavior um, is like and much less the topic of reactivity I think that word 
doesn't really exist in the minds of a lot of people. So um, because we don't have that vocabulary or the awareness in our own consciousness, um, you know, how, how do we even talk about giving support or receiving support or like having a community or having a platform to really talk about this? We don't have the words, we don't have the, the information, you know, and um, because, you know, Singapore is so densely populated, there's actually quite, there, there, there are a lot, lot of people who are not comfortable with having dogs in such close proximity, or there are a lot of people who don't understand how much space, you know, a dog needs. To act, yeah, a dog needs, um, especially a dog that looks uncomfortable, you know, and so a lot of these things and a lot of the focus on dog behavior or a lot of the focus on what people know of dog behavior in Singapore is obedience, um, not surprisingly, but like there's a lot of it's going back to, so, to the cultural thing again that you described correct. of, of yes. tough love and do as you're told. Um, in a way, that's on an individual level, but I think just society-wide, I think because we are a very regulated country, as I guess many people would, would know, we are a very regulated country where people follow the rule, where there are a lot of rules and people follow them and everything has a place. Um, there are these there's there is a quote unquote kind of right behavior to to have um there is the right thing to do uh, in public there is the right way to behave in public and there are things that you shouldn't do in public because it's just not it's not respectful to other people or um, it disturbs the peace or it, it 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 disturbs other members of the public and this expectation extends to our dogs as well yeah, and so, like, for example, um, one of the rules for us living in our kind of housing, like in our apartment, is that we have to have, we have to go through a compulsory kind of obedience training course before we are allowed to adopt and keep this dog officially. Um, and a lot of the obedience is kind of, uh, the, the obedience curriculum is focused on like teaching the dog how to sit, how to heal, um, how to stay, how to go down and stuff like that. And, you know, stuff that would keep the dog in a proper place. I felt like that was a lot of the focus. The focus mm -hmm. is a lot on teaching the dog to know its place and to keep in its place. And that is the definition of being a good canine citizen. And that is what people expect um, of dogs uh, in daily life. And so if you have a dog that's pulling or if you have a dog that's uncomfortable or if you have a dog that needs more space because it's afraid and when it's afraid it expresses in the way that that uh, in the only way that dogs know how to which is to use their their voice and their mouth and their teeth but it's not the same as aggression but you know all that kind of new all those kinds of like nuances and all those differentiations are, are lost on the general public and they're lost on people because when people see a dog barking or behaving atypically from what they expect, the general conclusion is that, oh, the dog is not well-trained in obedience, or that dog is not very obedient, or that dog is not, you know, needs to be, needs to be uh, disciplined, or it needs to be more, it needs to be better trained, you know, that's, that's not a very well-trained dog. And that's I think a very... I, just to interrupt you, I, I, I was listening to another podcast, and I can't remember which one, if I do, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But there was something about, you know, like what a good dog is, what 
the expectancy is, and they asked a lot of people to describe what they considered a good dog. And, and this then obviously is not just in Singapore. I'm guessing it was a U.S. study where they like ranked number one was like obedient. Do what we tell it to do, wait where it's supposed to wait, sit when it's supposed to sit. So partly, I guess it's a universal thing that we've kind of ingrained in people's minds that that's what dogs are, like good dogs are supposed to do. And it's, yeah. only, it's gonna take a lot of time, I think, to get around that and get a more sort of holistic approach or feel of what, you know, like what a good good dog is that there are no good dogs that are just dogs. Um, but maybe this is a nice segue to, to go from um, Singapore to, to the U S and, and what you've experienced in the U S as being different. And um, I, I guess we do have to be a little bit mindful of the time, but how you feel that things are, are I... yeah. Different again from, from Singapore. Um... Yeah, I think the, one of the biggest differences is space, obviously, because the US is such a huge country. So even if we do share similarities in terms of like some of the perspectives that people have of dogs, I think the, the, the difference is that in the US, there's enough space that everyone's spread out. So you don't encounter other people so closely, um, unless, of course, you live in a, in a busy city. But um, just generally, like there's a lot more space here um, there are a lot more places that we can go to where we won't um, risk kind of encountering you know other people other dogs or kids or whatever and there are places that we can go to just kind of do our own thing and um, and you know like I walk summer uh, at at, um, at a I can walk summer at like nine o'clock in the morning and there are places in our neighborhood that we can go that I won't there are times where I don't see a single person and you know it's that rarely happens in Singapore so that's the difference and then also like you know the the weather here is much better so it's it's milder it's cooler it's less humid and so a lot of you know the physical reactions like that someone had in Singapore like the allergies and stuff like that she doesn't get that here she doesn't she's had you know and and that contributes to her stress level because when she she's itching and she's got hot spots um her cortisol levels are affected yeah and then it would it would affect her state of mind and you know everything for her it's connected and you know her anxiety would, would be increased she has she's she she becomes less tolerant to um stressful things and over here it's much easier to manage in the sense that you know the physical aspect of it is um much better so physically she's thriving um she's Kind of doing much better here we we i guess you know we we also feel much better like just like this literally there's space to breathe <laughs> um yeah so that's that it's a lot it, it's less crowded it's definitely less dense here than it is in singapore so like you know you have you have people spread out over a larger area so it's kind of just less crowded in general um and then i think one of the other differences is that uh, just the culture here so there's a much more dog friendly culture here and by dog friendly culture i don't mean like having dog cafes or like dog parks i mean we have dog parks and dog cafes in singapore too but when i say like there's a more dog friendly culture here i mean like there are many more people here who have grown up 
with dogs in their lives, who have had dogs since they were kids um, and who have, who have spent a large part of their lives around dogs or around people with dogs or, or some, you know, in one form or another. And so they're very used to having dogs live among us. Um, and, you know, even if, if like sometimes, even if we encounter someone who, who's on his own, um, like they kind of, you know, the, the impression I get is like people know to give us space. People know to give us space and to be very respectful about how they approach, if they approach um, and, and to ask um, if it's okay or to avoid if they see that, you know, someone is wearing a vest that says do not pet or if our body language of both the human and the dog is telling you that we're trying to avoid, you know, they would give us space and, you know, it's like the, the, it's like a, a perfectly normal and reasonable thing to, to, to do. Of course, you will still have, you know, the outliers, you will have people who are inconsiderate, you'll have people who will let their dogs kind of run up to your face, but just, I feel like generally, I think we, from what I understand, we live in an area that has a very high proportion of dog to human ratio. So I think one of the highest dog to human ratios in, in, in the US uh, where, you know, people have one, two, three, four dogs per family kind of thing. Just even in our apartment building alone, well, and also in addition to all the pandemic puppies that have been coming in, and, you know, <laughs> just like the number of dogs, um, you know, in proportion to the number of humans is just, yeah, there's just a lot of dogs everywhere. And so, you know, it's, it's a common sight. It's something that people have accepted as part of life, as part of urban life, as part of domestic life, as part of human life, that, you know, dogs are a part of us and they, you know, you know, they, they deserve as much consideration, as much respect, as much thought and care as a human person, as a human child. And, uh, we've, you know, we've met very kind people who don't know that, you know, strangers, like whether they have dogs or not, that who have been very kind to Summer, who have been very considerate and who have been um, very kind of supportive in their own ways, you know, and even if it's just a small act of giving us space when we're coming into the building or giving us space when we're walking outside or just kind of really being mindful of how Summer is reacting to them, just those little things make a world of difference to me to to as someone who has a reactive dog who struggles to kind of you know not let things get out of hand who struggles every day to just kind of maintain a certain state of mind for for my dog and myself and you know everything can contribute to the balance being upset it's a very fragile balance that we try to maintain and protect and I can control my environment. I can control what I do with Summer. I can control the enrichment I give her. I can control the space that we have at home, but I can't control what goes out into the world uh, or what goes on in the world rather. And I rely a lot on the kindness of strangers. I rely a lot on the kindness of people that we haven't even met. Yeah, so it, you know, it makes a huge difference um, to me you know, when, when, when I see some, when we meet someone who knows how to kind of give us space and who is aware um, um, of Summer's reactions to them and is considering, and I can see that the person is considering Summer's comfort level when, when they come into the picture um, and respectfully give space when they see that Summer is uncomfortable. And, you know, I've, encountered, I've experienced that on more than one occasion here 
whether the, the other person has a dog or not. I mean, we usually don't really approach people with, with dogs, but like, you know, sometimes we see a friendly human and if someone is relaxed enough, I would kind of let her say hi or, or let them say hi to her. But, you know, they're very careful, they're very respectful and they're always kind of like, you can see that they're looking at Summer and they're seeing how she's responding. And this is something that I never, or I very seldom experienced when I was in Singapore, where kind of the the more common experience that I had was people expected us to give way. People expected us to make way for them. Uh, and people, right. expected, people expected the dog to know what to do, to know how to behave, to know what not to do around strangers, around other people um, as they're coming around the corner or yeah. as they're passing us or whatever. And, and if, you know, and, you know, like I, I, I didn't really get to kind of share, but like, you know, in Singapore, we did have, uh, because everyone's kind of squeezed into a smaller area. So I think that's part of the challenge. But also, like, I think, you know, the, just the level of consideration that people have for animals and their needs is just not the same. You know, um, like, it's very hard to justify when you have, like, a bunch of kids, like, deliberately kicking a ball at you and your dog when we are clearly just trying to pass, it's very hard to justify that as, oh, they're just kids. They don't know what they're doing. But they saw us. They saw us walking past and they kicked the ball at us and it scared Summer and they laughed. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. And, you know, yeah. there was a time where, like, you know, we were in a field, a, a field just kind of outside our neighbourhood. And because, you know, we were trying to find a quiet place and we couldn't bring Summer, like, we stopped bringing Summer to dog parks by that time. So she was kind of off leash and like just doing her own thing, sniffing. This guy comes around with a bike and because I think he was startled by her, he tried to run her over with his bicycle instead of kind of like just, he could have said like, you know, look, like this this was not a move good place dog, to have your dog. Or come get your yeah, dog you or know, she's in the way. Move your yeah, or she's in the way or like stop first and then, you know, you can scold me. Like you can, you can give it to me, like, like tell me what you think like you know don't don't shout at me don't try and run over my dog you know because she was obviously terrified but he still tried to do what he did and we have been almost run over by cars um, because we weren't crossing the road fast enough we have been tail we have been sort of tailgated by bicycles behind us because we weren't crossing the road fast enough and there were other people on the road with us and we were trying I was trying to keep summer calm next to me and so you know things like that that because of the small size of Singapore, I think it makes it worse. It makes, it, 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 it kind of calls upon people to really kind of ex extend, I guess, challenging amounts of compassion and generosity, I guess, when, when maybe it's not in us to do, or we don't have the capacity to do at that point in time, but it just causes a lot of these situations. But, you know, over here, because we have more space, People are more dog friendly in general. People are more dog aware. Um, we, we, we seldom have that kind of situation. And um, I think to me, that's, that's, a, that's a big difference. The biggest difference. Know, yeah, probably people in experience. Singapore are, are doing what our dogs are doing when their trigger stacked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. In a yeah, sense. So when you, yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, and then people we've also encountered people kind of like stepping out of the elevator on their phones just staring at their phones and then because they see us waiting outside they scream 
because they didn't expect to see a dog and they're afraid or whatever and they just scream and because they scream they scare the dog and the dog barks and then because of that they say that oh your dog's trying to scare me but I'm like you know um let you know, it go it's, it's, <laughs> yeah it's situations that I mean I try to tell myself it's created by the environment in a way and and it's not really anyone's fault but it's hard to live with you know and I'm I'm grateful to be here and to have actually to have, have this time in the US because I think it's really recuperative for us because the environment itself supports our rehabilitation both summers and mine I think the environment itself gives us the space and the just the the, the basic kind of things that we need to find our feet and to slowly heal you know um, and I, I don't think I don't think we could have done that very effectively if we had stayed on in Singapore. So even though there was, you know, it was a challenge, of course, moving over, moving across the oceans and coming all this distance and moving a dog with you and moving a reactive dog with you. I mean, I think it was worth it to bring her here and to let her experience the life here and to see how she has, you know, become a lot more relaxed here and, and thrived. And um, yeah, I, I know that, you know, summer summer's issues are like lifelong and because she's inherently kind of like an anxious dog and because of what happened during her fear period that has really imprinted on her we would need to just you know the work has to be ongoing like whether it's training or like kind of me working with her on our own kind of thing so when we when we got to the U.S. um like I gave, you know, we, we gave ourselves some time to settle down. We had to find apartments and move and all that. So we gave ourselves a, an adjustment period. So once we settled down, um, I uh, engaged, a, so I, I went, I, I researched and, and, and went online and like just looked around and I wanted in-person training because um, that's what works for me. I mean, there's no right or wrong. I mean, a lot of people do like remote uh, uh, lessons, but for me, like I needed in-person training because that's what I respond better to. So we found a trainer in our area that services um, our area and she uh, specialized or she's certified in um, BAT training, which is behavior adjustment training, uh, a, a kind of uh, school and a method of training that's developed by this lady called Grisha Stewart. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy to just look her up. She, she's done like really good stuff. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a method of training that, that kind of really is based on giving the dog a lot of distance and, you know, kind of moving at the dog's pace. So we thought like, hey, that sounded like something we could really explore. And so we did, we did training with her for like two months where she, she taught us a lot of the basic techniques and like what to do. Um, and she gave us a lot of advice also on like, um, what, um, what kind of life we should aspire to give Summer in order to help her, like what would be helpful for her. And so as much as we want to bring her on hikes to all the beautiful trails here, um, the trainer advised that we shouldn't. We, we did for a time, but then we did see, you know, some of her reactivity behavior coming out um, as we did more and more of that. And so the trainer was like saying, you know, it's really not a good idea for her. She's not ready for the dog part or the trails and, you know, we have to find other ways to give her the enrichment that she needs. And, and so like we had a lot of that education as well. So our education continues also. And, and after we were finished with the trainer, um, I, I, I asked again the trainer for help because I said like we need to continue 
we will need to continue this on our own. Like, how do we do that? And so the trainer said, well, you can ask, you know, there's a network of volunteers who volunteer at the local shelters. And because a lot of the volunteer programs have stopped because of COVID, um, a lot of these people are, are kind of actually, you know, they would be happy to, you know, continue and find and have the opportunity to continue helping dogs. And so you can reach out to the, she, she helped us to reach out to her network and of, of contacts uh, of these volunteers and asked around and she introduced us to her Facebook group um, that she set up for like her students and people and, and also just people who were interested to find out more about BAT uh, and get help for setups because in a lot of these setups you need a helper person, you need a helper dog in order to practice to train. The techniques. Yeah, to train. And so she set up a Facebook group for that very purpose. So she introduced that to us as well. So through these channels, we got to know um, uh, uh, a couple of human volunteers and we got to know a couple, a few people with dogs who um, offered to help us. And we got, you know, so we kind of connected with them online. I kind of connected with them online and I kind of arranged this uh, schedule of, of weekly training. So every week we have at least, I mean, we try to keep it to two because, you know, we don't want to overwhelm summer, but we have on average kind of two sessions a week, one with a human helper and one with a dog helper. And we do different things with them. Uh, we do different setups. We do um, different activities um, over time. Uh, we've been doing this since November last year. So we've been doing it for a few months now and we continue to do it into the future. Um, and all of this is, is designed or is aimed to help Summer kind of slowly change how she feels about these scary triggers and these scary situations that she, she has been reacting to. Um, and it's kind of through counter conditioning, positive reinforcement and bats and a combination um, um, in the respective scenarios, um, we're trying. We try to uh, hopefully help her to cope better um, at a minimum, and uh, in an ideal scenario, in an ideal state, to help her change. To hopefully get her to change how she feels about these trigger situations and see them as something positive instead of something scary but it's a very very long process and it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of time because you know after you work with the same person for a while you do need to introduce new people you do need to think of new setups you do need to kind of think of how you can take it to the next level or vary it uh, and still keep it safe for summer and safe of course for the volunteers um, so there's a lot of work into preparing for these things and planning for these things and organizing these things because, you know, even though I have a pool of people helping us right now, I have to constantly, you know, I'm constantly trying to see if there's anyone new that we could get in touch with and or get to know and, and it's a sensitive thing because I don't want to be a case where like, oh, I, I'm only interested to get to know you because of how you can Because help you can dog, help me with my dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I also, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a leech, right? Like, it's also kind of like, so, you know, in our own way, we are also slowly trying to offer help. So like just last week, um, we volunteered to help our trainer with one of her sessions with her students, because I know that that is something that Summer can handle. And so like I said, okay, sure, we'll help. And, you know, kind of pay it forward kind of thing. And also with people that we approach, we try to get to know them as friends as well. And 
and you know I like that like it's also a good opportunity for me to get to know people but I'm an introvert and and it doesn't come naturally to me and it takes a lot of mental kind of effort to put myself out there and talk to strangers and it, it it's it takes a lot of energy for me so you know in that sense um but you're doing it it's a balance I think I've had to balance my own state of mind even as I'm looking out for summer you know and and and, 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 and this was something also like I know we're we're like kind of short on time but like this is something that I, I kind of wanted to share with you because on hindsight I think it's funny because I um at Lizzie's birthday party back in Singapore uh, sorry her farewell party back in Singapore there were, I remember like we were sitting in the living room and we were just kind of chat the humans were just chatting and there was this lady I didn't know her she knew she was a friend of of Lizzie's owner she said like yeah you know like um I think having a dog is a really special thing it really changes your life and like, it really you know makes you you a better person and they, they really become your best friends I just and, and okay, so and, and you have to take this into context where this was after Summer had tried to repeatedly attack another dog and I was stressed out of my mind and like just trying to, you know, and after that, like I had to come back after the dogs were separated, I had to come back and just continue to be a good sport and participate in the convert in, in the party because you know it's for Lizzie and I didn't want to spoil it for, for everyone. So I had to come back and be normal again. And you know, so I was just trying to like in my mind, it was all these like crazy things going, crazy thoughts, and outwardly I had to smile. And so when this lady said what she said. I just completely lost it. I just, <laughs> I was like, no, I disagree. <laughs> I was like, no, you know what? I, you know what? I completely disagree. Like, and, and that is, and then I just started, like, I just went off on her. I said, and this poor lady, like, she was really nice and she didn't mean anything by that. She was just trying to also, she didn't have a dog. So she was also just trying to participate in a dog conversation to kind of make everyone feel included. Yeah. And I just went off on her and I said, like, you know, and you know like that's the the misconception that like the media and tv and movies feed us you know they give us this ideal image and makes everyone think that that's what dogs should be and that's what a life with a dog is like well i tell you it's not okay it's not like that for everyone and it's not always like that and like that and i just like i just like sounded like a crazy person like and then the room just then after a while i just realized that there was this awkward silence Silence. around the room and i was like oh my gosh what did i just do like I'm you know what then I was just like I, I can't remember what, how I ended but I think I just kind of just awkwardly I think she was the one who was very gracious about it it's like she just kind of like she just gave an awkward laugh and she's like ha ha yeah you know yeah I mean I'm not saying that you know it's like that for everybody but like you know I, I totally understand where you're going and she tried to like appease Aww. me <laughs> oh so sweet I was, like, I was like super like oh my god yeah uh, that was like that was that was one of those things but you know, it's, it's completely very... lying, though. It does complete it, or it does or did yeah. completely change your life. <laughs> um, yeah, and they are people who have fantastic experiences with dogs, who have dogs, who really, you know, like best friends, emotional support, and all the good stuff. And like, you know, I I envy those people, and I don't discount their experience. And I, and you know, I and a part of me still hopes for that kind of experience. I still, you know, in a way, I grieve for the dog that I never got to have, but. You know that's life right we don't always get what we want and we have to just deal with with what we have and make the the best of it and try to find and you know learn to find the joy and the beauty and the positive parts of of, of what's in front of us 
and what's in front of me right now is this dog that's snoring in a corner, completely oblivious to the heartache that she's caused me, <laughs> completely oblivious to the trauma that she's caused me. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like I get so frustrated and I get so overwhelmed and so stressed and like I cry, I've cried countless times because of her. But then there are moments where I come back and I watch her sleep and I just, I can't feel anything but love. And I hate this conflict because it's really stressful. Like this like back and forth between resenting my dog and like loving her, like wanting to give her away and wanting to protect the hell out of her. And it's just, you know, it's been very like a roller coaster, like an emotional roller coaster as well for, for me. Um, even now it's more stable, but it doesn't mean that I don't still feel some of these emotions. But yeah, so that's kind of like where we are right now. <laughs> what you're saying is actually what keeps coming up in all of the conversations and that is that it's both hard and beautiful and that we have to really hold space for all of the feelings so both the the resentment the grief but also the love the joy the growth we're experiencing all of it it's not either or it's and yeah and maybe yeah. that's also a nice way to sort of move over to the last part of mm -hmm. the podcast, which is where mm -hmm. I always ask everybody to give me a bit of their thoughts uh, in regards to life with their dog on the three words that are always the same three words, which are expectation, frustration, and celebration. Yeah, I think. Um... Um, for me, uh, expectation, I think in the context of my journey with Summer, I, 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 it's easy to misunderstand or like to miss kind of mistakenly perceive expectation as goals. So like I had these things I, wanna I wanted to, I had this life I wanted to achieve with Summer and I did everything that I knew how to in, in order to, to get to that point. Um, but, you know, after two and a half years of living with her, I'm now like a lot of it on hindsight and like a lot of, after a lot of thinking, I realized that, you know, I, I think there is a difference between expectation and goals in that expectation is often imposed on someone. So whether it's you imposing on yourself or you imposing on your dog or your parents or society imposing on you or, or whatever, um, it, it's, it's, it's something that's kind of put onto us and the, there is a pressure of meeting a certain standard and when you don't, there is a sense of disappointment or failure of being less than, and it's a process and it's thoughts that kind of really break us down rather than lift us up. But when I think about goals, it's more aspirational to me. It's more constructive. It's more positive. And, you know, we pursue goals to be a better version of ourselves. And, you know, in the pursuit of goals, it's the process that matters, the journey that matters as much as the end outcomes. And, and, you know, I think for me, that's how I try to see my life with Summer that, you know, I still, of course, have these hopes, these far off hopes, this middle term hopes, um, um, you know, of a life that I hope to have with her of, of you know, I mean, actually now I just hope that she would be happy. I think that's my, my biggest thing that I wish for her, that she would be a happy, carefree, relaxed dog that gets to do what she loves every day. And and then in that process, be able to have a, a happier life with her also. Um, you know, but, you know, while we still have these 
goals that we want to have. I think a lot of what I try to do with her now is to enjoy the process of getting there, to enjoy the everyday, to enjoy the incomplete, the imperfect moments and the process of learning and the process of discovery with her. So that's the difference. And that's what I think of when I think of how expectation has evolved for me. Um, frustration is a double-edged sword. I mean, it's normal to feel frustrated. Even our dogs feel frustrated. Um, and it's kind of like what we do with that feeling. It's, it's important to process. I think a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to process what we feel. We repress it for whatever reason we think that you know, that's the right thing to do, or we don't want to burden, we don't want to bother other people, we don't want to unload on people or whatever. So we repress that. But I think it's important to process the feelings of frustration, to acknowledge it, that, okay, that's what happened. And then we channel, and then I try to channel that into uh, doing something to be better, or doing something to address that particular issue or, or whatever. And one of the things that I think, maybe it sounds silly, but like when we go through an, an uh, uh, an episode or like maybe something happened and I didn't do well or like I caused Summer to you know react or like I, I didn't respond in the best way and that makes me really frustrated at myself I keep playing it back in my head but but now like you know after I give myself a little bit of time a short time to cool down and then after that you know I'll go do something else like I'll go like cook like prepare lunch or like go have lunch or whatever and then I'll come back and I'll look at Summer again and then I'll actually apologize to her. Like, so I will go to her and say, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for what I did just now. And I know it was hard for you too. And I actually say these words to her. Um, and she just like continues to look at me like, I don't like, are you going to give me food? But, you, you know, she doesn't understand, but it doesn't matter. It's more for me, right? Like, so I, yeah. I apologize to her and I, 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 I say out loud that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that was hard for you. I'm, I'm sorry that was scary for you too. And that was, that was a scary day. And, you know, it's okay. Tomorrow will be better. And then we, you know, we could play some games after that. I just leave her alone to nap or whatever. And, and that's the end of it. And I don't dwell on it anymore. And I just focus on moving forward. And so that's kind of, it sounds very silly and it sounds very obvious, but I think that's kind of what has helped me to cope with every day. And that's kind of what has helped me to get over these these moments and and while not denying that they exist and you know that's how I live with frustration as kind of like a, a double-sided thing uh, celebration I think a lot of people have mentioned this before so I think for me my favorite celebrations are like the little things the small wins the everyday moments um, and and um, usually the moments that nobody else sees because it's usually things, moments that occur when it's just me and Summer alone somewhere outside walking or at home or whatever, you know, and and it happens very quick, like it, it comes and goes and then I realise that Summer hasn't reacted and I'm like, oh my gosh, didn't, like, did you, did you, did, did you see, I, there's no one around for me. Yeah, you to want say, to grab you someone, that? you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's really funny because like, I remember I, I read this Facebook post one time and this lady, she was writing about how she had gone on a walk with her reactive dog and you know they had a and a really good day and, a, and, a, and a, to her she had a big win because you know they passed the dog or something I can't remember the details but something happened that would normally trigger the dog and the dog didn't react and then she said she wrote that like she felt like just kind of grabbing someone and taking them by the shoulders and just yelling at the top of her voice and say did you see that did you see that nothing happened nothing and and I just like when I saw when I when I read that I just I burst out laughing because like yeah. I could really relate like it's like really like you know you you really want to just yell out loud like oh my god nothing happened nothing happened did you see that and you know to me like that 
that kind of um, represents like celebration to me like to to any regular person it's like a completely boring ordinary regular everyday moment but to a reactive dog owner like like me like us you know that moment is gold gold yeah 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 absolutely yeah well joanne thank you so much for sharing and for being so open about everything i can only imagine that a lot of people that are dealing with reactive dogs on a day-to-day basis are going to listen to this and recognize a lot and feel support. And I think that's also what, what we're trying to do with this podcast. So thank you very much. Um, thank you for last, having me. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> but last thing, if people want to get in contact with you or follow you on social media, Are you anywhere like on Instagram or Facebook that you want to share with us? Or would you say, no, please contact Kaisa if you want to get hold of me. Um, um, tell me. Well, I mean, I think like many dog owners, we all have Instagram accounts for our dogs. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think if, if, if people wanted to, I guess, um, see how Summer is doing or like find out more about Summer, that would be probably the best place to, to find us. Um, Uh, it's and our handle is summer uh, dot uh, oo so it reads summer room uh, but it's spelled like summer dot oo um, and we I came up with that because like there was this picture I had of summer where she was kind of kind of trying to get at like a something you know she was bending down in a really funny position and from the back she looked like a kangaroo like she really looked like a kangaroo because of her color and the way she stuck her bum in the air and so like yeah that's why I thought of the name Samaru like Summer the kangaroo kind of the dog who thinks she's a kangaroo <laughs> well awesome people will definitely be able to remember the name yeah. now and I of course will also link to it in the show notes sure, and add some you. pictures of the two of you so that people can see what you guys look like Once again, Joanne, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least... If you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on, because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone. <laughs>